0: You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric, Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen.
1: I'm Jen Justice. I'm Stevie Molsoff. And Becky Mullies.
0: And today we are bringing to you a remake of our home buyer's journey from start to keys. We're going to do this in three episodes, but a lot has shifted in the market and we want to be able to be sure we're providing clear, up-to-date information. So we're going to redo our home buying series. So this is one of three. And this is for all of those of you that are thinking about or maybe already kind of in the process of uh, buying a home. We'll do a seller series again as well. And uh, just to provide some basic overviews of what a typical home sale looks like so that you can have some quick and easy education and get comfortable and know what kinds of questions to ask and what kinds of things are likely to happen during your home buying experience.
2: And I think with a lot of the recent interest rate hikes and things like that, there's some people knowing that the market is shifting, asking some more questions, and maybe thinking about getting in the game of home buying, which is always a great game to get in.
0: Absolutely. Of course. So let's jump right in. First question: I'm thinking about buying a home. I'm not sure whether that's what I want to do, but it's time to start getting, you know, kind of prepared. What? What's? What's ladies? What first thing? What's the first thing?
2: um Are you actually asking that?
0: To- Absolutely, <laughs> I'm asking that.
2: Let's talk about some money, right? Because what? It, this is going to cost something, right? I mean. Every rewarding journey has a cost, so we're just going to start there and break it down, right?
0: Yeah, so we need to find out if you're financially viable, but you might even need some help putting that information together, and I don't think it's ever too early to find a good quality realtor to work with. What do you guys think? Uh, Good quality
2: realtors have good quality referrals for good quality mortgage people.
0: Right, and they also can help you do some of the budgeting stuff I think we're about to talk about.
2: I know a couple good realtors. Do you?
0: I do. Excellent. You know what, I'd I'd love to get their names after the episode. There you go. So So, uh, if you're going to um, get into the journey, do not hesitate to contact a realtor Or at least kind of start your vetting process to find a great realtor. And that's important because there are great people in all professions and not so great people in all professions. And we want you to have the absolute best.
2: And what, what happens, I think, a lot in today's society is there's a lot of information out there online. And there's a lot of targeted information once you start looking at things. And sometimes that information is great and accurate. And sometimes it's literally just targeted ads that may or may not serve you, so it doesn't hurt to contact somebody, pick up the phone, call, actually do some due diligence in getting into this process.
0: So so the NAR, National Association of Realtors, says that 92% of all homes sold, and this would have been, I think this is a year old or maybe a year and a half old stat, it was like in the last two or three years, but anyway, I think it still holds generally true. 90%, 92% of all homes sold, the realtors that were used were either a realtor that was previously used or a referral. So you know somebody, you say, hey, did you have a realtor? Did you have a good experience? Do you want to use that realtor? And that certainly I think is a great starting point to ask your friends and your family about their experiences with any particular realtor. That That's a great place to go. What are we going to do if we don't have that available right to us? What, what's our recommendation for people if they don't have an individual that's being recommended from somebody they trust?
2: Interviews are always great.
0: I was going to say yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I don't feel like you should just jump in and, I mean, Google's your best friend to an extent. You don't want to just look and see who's got the best reviews and whatnot. You should talk and have a conversation with the person before you decide that that is who. You want your realtor to be
0: and Stevie, how many do you think we should be doing?
1: I'd
2: say at least three.
0: I I, I agree with that. I think that's a that's a great number. So, through whatever medium you have to find some realtors um again maybe you've got some casual references maybe somebody's told you well i uh, i've heard of this realtor but i've never worked with them and or or whatever it is or you know if you resort to google reviews which is like the modern day yellow pages um <laughs> Sit down face-to-face and interview realtors. That's really important. These are people who are going to be with you on what is probably the most important financial journey, to say nothing, of a lifestyle journey that you're about to have. And you need to make sure that you're working with somebody who you know has your best interest in mind and that you can communicate well with and they communicate great to you.
2: Yes, and whatever your preferred method is, whether it's text or the Marco Polo today, I always offer a Marco Polo or a FaceTime. We actually communicate with a fair amount of our clients on a FaceTime now um, because, you know, we like to see things on video and whether that's actually showing them the home through that method or just even making the initial interviewer contact through that method, it needs to be your preferred.
0: Yeah, and Marco Polo, if you've never heard of it, is a, um, it's essentially a video chat. So you hold up your phone, you take a video of yourself talking. Uh, You can't point it around, but that's really not at least the way I've used it. Uh, And then you send it off to someone and then they get a notification that, hey, there's a video chat from Eric. So I think of it as text messages with video, really. Yeah,
2: that's a great way to put it because it's it's similar to Snapchat, but the messages don't go away. So you can like look back at older ones if you wanted to.
0: Absolutely. So so you need to get out and find a a great realtor. So if for some reason you didn't choose any of us, (laughs) uh, hopefully you have found an absolutely fantastic one because uh, one of the things that they're going to be there for is to represent you, to be your fiduciary, which is a fancy word of saying that they are required to put your interests over theirs. And hopefully part of that is very early on talking with you about budgets and about what the cost of home ownership is. So let's jump into that. What are some things that we try to talk with our clients about the cost of home ownership that maybe they're not always getting or they're not thinking of before they contact a great realtor?
2: I feel like a lot of people don't realize in your mortgage payment, you're going to have taxes and insurance. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and, and think- also even just having a hundred thousand or two hundred or a three hundred thousand dollar home how that is amortized out over the life of the loan for mm-hmm. example you know a hundred and twenty thousand dollar house over a 30-year period will cost over a half a million dollars but that figures into it the interest and the amortization that's paid over the life of the loan i actually just had a conversation recently with a young lady that was kind of like oh my gosh this house is going to cost me so much money over the life of the loan but when you think about it whether you're renting or buying, that monthly payment times however many years is still going to equal a fair amount of money. It, you know, it's part of the cost of living on the planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, <laughs> so mortgages are structured a lot differently. They're amortized. It's not simple interest like you might get on a vehicle loan. So you're paying the vast majority of interest up front and then you're paying interest for 30 years and that that totals up. Typically,
2: we say 30 years, but you know what? There's 10-year loans, there's 15-year loans, there's 20-year loans. So there's lots of different options when it comes to your budget, looking at your payment and what's going to be best for you. And that's what your realtor needs to help you do.
0: And then to Stevie's point, your payment, typically, if you're getting a mortgage, and we're just kind of talking about sort of the typical process here. So we'll talk about mortgages. It's going to include mortgage uh, interest. It's going to include your homeowner's insurance. And it might include something called PMI, which we'll dive into in a, in a subsequent podcast. But a somebody who's trying to entice you to buy, they may only show you the principal and interest. So you may not see that your house payment's going to be much higher uh, when you're looking at some of these online uh, people that are trying to entice you into get into the market. So the way your loan is structured and what's added to your loan automatically, assuming that you have a mortgage. Uh, so those payments. So that's number one. But there's a lot more to home ownership than just the house payment.
2: Yeah, and if you're coming from an apartment, for example. What might some other costs be that you'd want to think about before you jumped into this process? A
1: lot of apartments and whatnot and townhomes will pay for either your water or your electricity and things like that. And so whenever you're going to buy a home, if they tell you your mortgage is going to be, I don't know, $1,200, that's a lot different than a $1,000. two hundred dollar rent because of all these extra payments that you might have whenever you buy it
0: right thousand two hundred dollars twelve hundred dollars plus maybe your water bill and your electric bill
1: mm-hmm. absolutely
2: cable internet <laughs> I mean there's there's several other costs that could go into that uh, it could be a homeowner's association dues that's also part of that process part of that payment etc so lots of different things like that can go into that Even you know maintaining
1: your home
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, let's get to that, home maintenance. But before we do that, let me mention one other thing on utilities, which is kind of a big thing, is we've actually uh, had a scenario where, uh, well, it wasn't us. (laughs) It wasn't us. We heard about a scenario from a friend of ours who uh, um, the homeowner didn't realize gas was utility because they had never lived anywhere where there was a gas bill. So there are all of that electric homes plus they had gone to an apartment after they moved out of their their parents home and so they never turned on the gas. So the gas company shut it off pretty quickly and all of a sudden they wake up and they've got no heat and their their oven doesn't work and they're like what's going on. So so uh-huh. yeah they're not not so you should have a good realtor going through all of that with you.
2: And looking at the seller's disclosure hopefully that the seller has put that on there and you have reviewed with the client. A big expense people don't expect is blinds. Most mm-hmm. houses especially a don't come new with blinds. Construction. Yeah,
0: especially new construction. But e- even then, like if you want to change them if they're old, if they're uh, maybe a little worn in some way, shape, or form, blinds, window treatments in general can get very expensive. That's mm-hmm. an excellent one. And then let's go back to Becky's home maintenance. Um, I mean, how about buying a lawnmower? <laughs>
2: right. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, yard implements because if you're coming from um, – maybe a family home where that stuff is sort of already there, or maybe you're coming from uh, an apartment rental where you haven't had to maintain the yard. And then there's the time involved with maintaining your yard. So,
2: Or just even, I I recently had this happen, so selling an acreage property um, that's got six acres and change, and the particular person buying it is coming from a home where they've got a push mar. And they said, hey, would that seller sell me this John Deere tractor? And they thought, hey, a grand should cover a John Deere tractor. Let me just tell you that John Deere tractors are very, very expensive. And John Deere's in general are the most expensive tractor type of lawnmower. They're very proud of that green and yellow there that they've got going on. And that particular model, we looked it out and it was worth thirty seven hundred bucks. So compared to, oh, I think a thousand dollars should cover this and then for this particular tractor model, which is probably 10 years old. I mean, it's just one of those perception pieces that's important to consider in your budget in what type of home you're looking at.
0: Oh, absolutely! Like if you are used to a push mower, or you think you're going to grab a push mower, you've seen them at the big box stores for 250 bucks, and you go, "Well, this yard's a whole lot bigger, so I'm going to go get me one of those fancy zero turns." And surely that's eight or nine hundred dollars. Woo wee Yeah, times
2: three, four, five, depending on the. uh, So there's a lot lot of of, lot of
0: costs. And it's really important that you put yourself in a position to be a successful homeowner and understand that these costs uh, exist. So I know with our first-time buyers, uh, we have a lot of discussions about, have you owned a home before? Some, I I just said first-time and have you owned a home. Our buyers, whether they're first-time or not, find out if they've owned a home, what their understanding is of these kinds of things. And then if they don't have a great understanding of it, we help them and how to, what's a way that we help them or that you could be getting help from your agents?
2: One of my favorite things is actually putting a pen to paper, um, looking at tools like Nerd Wallets, one of the really good ones out there for budgets. There's tons of, of good budgets out there. Dave Ramsey has a good one. But even just sitting down and actually putting the pen to paper, working out those costs, looking at the different things, and then looking at extra stuff you might want to do. Do you want to paint inside? How much is that going to cost? Uh, Do you want to put flowers out in the yard? How much is that going to cost? Because there's so many things you can dive into with a home, and there's endless improvements that any single person can make to a home even if it's a brand new one I promise you you could go out there and spend 50 grand very easily on just miscellaneous items and you've really got to rein yourself in if you're building a home if you're buying a home whatever and make that realistic for you your lifestyle and making it successful for your
0: home journey. Right. Uh, even new construction, I think one of the big ones, which Stevie mentioned earlier, is window treatments. Oh,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Thousands of dollars. It's e- ca- easy. It, it doesn't yeah. feel like it should be uh, that much. But when you think about the time and the labor and the install and then depending on the type of blinds it does, it adds up really quick. Oh, yeah. What about light bulbs? Do oh. those come in new construction homes? They
0: do, and because uh, we're and, and, and I don't I, I don't want to speak for the entire industry, but what I'm finding now is is that they are tending, unless they're doing something decorative uh, with a particular fixture like Edison bulbs or anything, they are now typically putting in LEDs. So that's good.
2: Sometimes mm-hmm. that's a line item on a new home construction thing where you can upgrade yeah, to it, that, yeah. or it very. Very varied, like you said, throughout the industry. But, but I see you do I'm, get light bulbs. I,
0: I'm seeing that more and more. Yeah, they're going to get light bulbs, but that's I'm seeing good. them go because right now the LED cost is not a whole lot more yeah. than the old traditional incandescence. And so, uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a thing. And then <laughs> we could we could always talk about new construction and light fixtures and um,
2: you know flooring and, and furniture you know, and go, all go, the things. Mirrors, mirrors, right? You can, but.
0: Uh, that that's probably another another great episode about new construction by itself. Yeah. So it's really important on your home buying journey, from the start to to your keys, that you um, that that you do two things probably pretty early early on. One, which is start to vet your professionals. Um, and there's two that you're going to want to probably get uh, working with you right away, and that's, of course, your realtor and your lender. And if you don't have a lender that you're already working with or that you know is going to be a great lender in the mortgage world, your realtor will have some awesome suggestions, and they'll take into some consideration some things that you haven't, uh, like uh, do they typically get to the closing table on time, and how well are they work to work with and documents and those kinds of things.
2: And Stevie's rule of three on that was great too. You interview several lenders. Um, costs can be widely varied, whether they're charging points to get a lower interest rate or what's going on there. And then you are going to share some of your most personal financial information with this person. Your tax returns, your bank statements, your paychecks. They're going to want to know every detail. They're going to ask you to source your deposits possibly. So you want to be pretty comfortable with your lender, making sure that you are fully confident in them and sharing this information with them.
0: So yeah, so so let's dive into that because once you've kind of figured a budget, said, yes, I can afford this. I want to do this. I guess when we started talking about that, one of the things we haven't talked about, which I think scare a lot of people away from getting into home buying to begin with, is the concept of a big down payment.
2: Oh, yes. So let's- and you know what? It's still a common misconception, and NAR puts this data out, that... Home buyers think they have to have 20% down. And that's such a misnomer because there's honestly even still 0% down programs, especially through your government programs, your USDA, your rule have nothing down. You know, you've got your FHA, which is typically your three and a half percent down. And then you've got conventional programs that are even 5% down. So there is a program out there for every buyer we promise.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, actually uh, I'm working with a buyer right now who's got a conventional program that is 3% down. So Did it's a conventional it? loan with 3% down. So there's a lot of things. So, But
2: you don't have to have 20% down, and that's most important for everyone to hear. Don't be afraid of those big down payments because there's lots of different options out there.
0: So I would say that in today's day and age, if you're qualifying for a mortgage, you probably can find, your worst case scenario is you probably can find something at 5%. Uh, and there are other places where you can find things lower. Like I said, there's, uh, like I've, I'm working with a conventional loan at 3%. FHAs typically are 35 If you're a veteran or the spouse of a veteran, there are VA loans, which can happen with 0% down.
2: Mm-hmm. And the VA will even pay some of your funding fees or things like that because of your service to our country. And thank you, all veterans.
0: Absolutely. So... Um, you don't necessarily have to come up with, if you're trying to buy a $300,000 home, you don't have to have $60,000 in the bank to be able to buy that home. Now you have to have decent credit. Uh, we'll talk about credit uh, here in a little bit. And and you have to have you know some cash or save some cash up, but not necessarily 60 grand. I don't know. I'm trying to think uh, if I've, uh, for what I'd call a traditional home, right? So, or something in that... Um, a first or second home purchase, um, you know, people who, normal people who are buying homes, at, you know, let's call it under 400000 I think I've had one client who's had that kind of cash in the bank. I mean, I, I you know, I don't have that kind of cash in the bank. So I, I just, you know, I, I get that that could be a scary thing if you think that's real and it just simply isn't. Um, so let's jump into mortgage and lenders a little bit and kind of talk about those sort of next big step we we've we've done pen to paper maybe we've done a budget we've contacted a realtor maybe gave us a couple of lender suggestions we've interviewed them
2: and Uh, we've gathered a lot of paperwork right so we started the gathering of the paperwork or keeping the file even online you know bank statements are frequently available online now but the next step is going to be to call those lenders and start to dig into that process they're probably going to pull a surface level credit report and uh Figure out your credit score and figure out where you're at in that um, part of the process.
0: So let's, let's provide some definitions. Uh, a couple of important ones when it comes to credit and um, loans uh, and some, some new ones. You'll hear the terms interest and APR passed around. And I think it's pretty common to think that interest and APR are, in fact, the same thing. And they're not. Uh, they, they can be pretty close at times, but interest is typically what a lender will advertise. APR is the actual percentage rate, not just the interest rate on your loan. And so you'd go like, well, hang on a minute. What in the world would the difference be between the actual percentage rate and the interest rate? So I'll toss that out. Um, who can give me some examples? <laughs>
2: Not
1: me. <laughs> I don't cost, know. Put well, you on the spot. Right? When, you,
2: when you look at your APR or your annual percentage rate, that's going to take into account your lender cost. Right. So whether we're talking about those points that we had, any lender fees, um, and it's going to reflect the actual cost of the loan itself, not just the interest rate on the loan. It and does
1: include interest
2: rate though.
0: It does yes, include. It does, it's
2: inclusive, but it's inclusive yeah. of a lot of cost. You're, so it's yeah. gonna give you a lot better picture if somebody tells you, oh, our interest rate is X, What's your APR? And then they say, oh, you know, it's not even relevant or, or whatever. But it actually is a very, very relevant cost because when you get to the closing table, we've got these great Truth in Lending statements that were part of the Dodd Frank Act many years ago. Now I can't even remember. I remember when I had to sit through all that the education.
0: Is, you know, Becky's going through classes. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, have you Dodd gotten,
2: Frank and Truth in Lending? Was gotten that, gotten that 2009?
1: That
0: Dodd-Frank was right after the 2008 debacle. It was. That's why I say. But Truth in Lending, that's a little bit different. I don't remember the details.
1: Um, I honestly could probably pull up my classes (laughs) and figure No, 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 no. We don't have that kind of time. But what my
2: point is that you're going to see this when you get to the closing table. And I prefer my clients to be familiar with it far before they ever get there and have to sign off.
0: So the things that are added in the cost of the loan beyond the interest rate are lenders fees, any points you might pay. Those are the two most common. Uh, There are a few others, but That way, the APR will end up looking different and higher than your interest rate. Correct. And all of that's there so that you're not agreeing to something that has this massive amount of lender's fees, and you think you're getting a loan at at 5.5%, and the next thing you know, it's actually 7 So, And the gaps typically aren't that big in mortgages, but the Truth In Lending Act is there to protect you. So, always ask for what the APR is going to be, if you can. Perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. Another top, another big thing that's tossed around when you're looking at your mortgage is this concept called debt to income ratio or DTI. So let's examine that for a minute. I don't think we need to make you math whizzes at all, but we sort of <laughs> um, we can break this down pretty simple it, because it's it's what it sounds. It's what the percentage of your income is debt. But let me tell you sort of how that's looked at. First of all, it's your gross income. So it's your income before taxes, before your health insurance is taken out, all of those kinds of things, and then the debt portion is all of your recurring payments. So it's not your cable bill and it's not your grocery bill. It is your car payment and your apartment rent. Uh, although that will be transcribed, it's it's the um, in a mortgage, it's the proposed house payment. Your car payment, credit card, uh, credit debt. card debt.
2: Things that uh, would be on your credit report. Right, so. um, and there's resources to pull some free credit reports. They're not always inclusive of everything that you need to look at. And that's where your great lender comes in, because they're going to help you look at those things. They're going to help you potentially make adjustments if you need to. But this all goes into that DTI ratio, which typically we don't want to see any more than 43%. Now, again, lots of different programs out there, right? So that can be higher, maybe just a smidge though. um, But that can be lower also for a lot of programs, right? And, you know, rule of thumb for uh, rental properties is a third, right? Can't be any more than a third or uh, 33%. So that's rental verification a lot of times, but a lot of times in the mortgage world, they're allowing you to go a smidge higher than that.
0: So if you uh, are making $2,000 a month, but your credit cards and all of that are $1,500 a month, you probably have already figured out that you're probably not going to toss a house payment on top of that. So- um, you know but but it, it is good to know what those ratios are uh, and then your lender of course will be able to tell you pretty clearly An- another thing that I think scares people out of the market or makes them concerned is the concept of a credit score what is my credit score oh my credit score is bad I shouldn't be in getting involved in this I want to spend time to get my credit score better etc I know I hear that a fair amount um, I, you know it's just it it's it's kind of like you know. It's it's almost like having being a, a web MD. Oh, I got I got a pain in my side. Let me look up on Google, and then I can tell you what that that pain is. Um, if you have a bad credit score, fixing it on your own is 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 um, well, it it just doesn't make sense when you can have dedicated professionals help you. Um, to honestly, at at, at no charge.
2: You know, when we had Jana Fox on the podcast early on, we still have that available in the library. But there are companies out there that will charge you per item. They have attorneys on staff. And uh, I cannot remember the name or the percentage right off the top of my head, but I believe at least half of the credit reports out there are inaccurate. And by that, I mean that they may accidentally have something reported twice on your credit, thus bringing your score down unnecessarily because it's been reported two times making it harder to get. And they they have ways to adjust this quickly and then get you a Rescore way faster than you could ever dream about doing on your own.
0: Right, and I think Jana Fox and Rescore is a great opportunity, but if you're just looking for some advice and you want to take it yourself, well, then your, your mortgage lender is going to be able to look at your credit report and tell you, here are the things that are keeping you from getting a better score and getting a better loan program or getting a loan at all. So you can approach that a couple of different ways if you think hey it's going to be really hands-on you don't wait and call your mortgage lender you say hey here is what i am trying to do can you give me some advice on how i can get there and we talk to people all the time buyers and we know our preferred lenders talk to people all the time that are six months a year 18 months maybe even longer away from being able to get into home ownership but that's okay um, we don't mind kind of, you know, coaching you through it. Yeah, that's that what we're here for The
1: interviewing, though, because I mean, you want someone that you can work with that's going to help you. So talking to them, even whenever you're not ready to purchase the house is OK, because in the long run, you get to see how helpful they're going to be and
2: how good that relationship is going to be throughout this process. It's mm-hmm. very, very important.
0: Well, you know, we talked about some of the loan types early on, but, but let's focus in and kind of give a brief rundown of all the different kinds of types of loans we know. It's really kind of really manifest into about six, um, six major categories. So the first thing let's talk about is let's talk about government-backed loan programs. And there are three big ones. And they are USDA, VA, and FHA. So let's save FHA for last because it's probably going to be the most common. Veterans tend to be aware of their benefits. Uh, What's a USDA loan? What in the world is the United States Department of Agriculture doing giving home loans?
2: They like to loan on rural type of properties with rural populations still.
0: So rural properties, and, and does that affect us in Kansas City
1: at all?
2: Uh, We have some outlying areas of Kansas City that still qualify. You've got your Kearney, your Smithville, your Excelsior Springs, and some of those zip codes on the outlying. I imagine Lone Jack, uh, probably Buckner.
0: And and we can always
2: go to USDA.gov, and they have a lot of the information on there to check out. But it's, I believe, 2,500 or under. So um,
0: you don't have to get very far south of Harrisonville or Peculiar or... um
2: Martin City,
0: um, Seltzer,
2: Richmond, Spring Hill. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of places in our area where our clients uh, are looking for homes that potentially could qualify for a USDA loan. If you are looking in those areas, your lender can help provide you some of that data. Your realtor can help provide you some of that data about, you know, because they can go look up here is, oh, you're looking out near Spring Hill. Let's see what the USDA can do. Uh, because that might be another loan option for you. Absolutely. Uh, So that brings us to VA loans. So I think we kind of touched on them. Like I say, veterans tend to be pretty good at knowing what their benefits are, or at least knowing how to start the process. One
2: important part of VA loans that some veterans um, end up kind of trying to cross over on is if your certificate is used, and you, for example, let your child assume your loan, because VA loans are typically still assumable, meaning that you can transfer that loan to another person, selling them that home, allowing them the use of that VA benefit or that VA certificate. And if you do that, your benefit is used. So you cannot use your benefit again while you have let your son, daughter, or anyone else for that matter assume that loan. The benefit does not transfer until that is closed out, and then you can use it on a different property at that time.
0: And if I remember correctly, your benefit being used is to a dollar amount that you're approved for. So theoretically, if you bought a... $100,000 $100,000 home and transferred that, but were qualified for 300000 you could buy another $200,000 home.
2: You definitely have to check with the check, lender on but, that because I am not sure about that
0: one. Yeah. So I, I think that's what I remember. I was involved in one of these about two years ago that kind of went that direction. Uh, but yeah, certainly something to check into. Let's talk about the last of the government back loans, which is the FHA loan.
2: The Federal Housing Authority.
0: That's right. Federal Housing Authority. And this is the loan program that was designed, I don't remember how many years ago. I
2: believe in the 70s. To
0: to essentially assist people into home ownership because back then you tended to have to have bigger down payments. 20% Uh
2: down was a real thing. Um, And then the federal government did step in and said, hey- Let's figure out a way to make this more realistic. And honestly, this is one of the reasons our PAC is so near and dear to my heart—the Realtor Political Action Committee—is we fight every year to keep benefits like this to the American people, such as FHA, um, because it would be easier to say, "Oh, slap twenty percent on everybody," but. That's going to make home ownership out of reach for so many Americans if we slap that on them. So we fight hard to keep these rights in place for the American people, and it's something that typically you can have a 3.5% down payment, the government will back the loan, and you can get a mortgage and buy a home.
0: And you can have a little bit lower of credit score than, yes. than your typical uh, conventional loan, which is where we're going to go next. So
2: And it keeps the interest rate still pretty modified, pretty uh, reasonable in FHA.
0: So, so FHA is a great option. I, I, you know, I think it used to be like considered the first-time buyer option. And I think maybe the FHA loans being out there are what sort of forced the conventional lending world to really come up with a lot better program. So even if you go, well, hey, if I can qualify for this 3% conventional you were talking about, Eric, why in the world would I need an FHA? Well, I think if FHA didn't exist, that other one wouldn't either.
2: Probably not. You're probably so- accurate.
0: So the last loan type is conventional, and conventional means it's not one of those other programs, right? Not not, government-backed. Not government-backed. It is is a
2: private type of mortgage done by a private company offered um, through, you know, your lender can offer all these different programs usually. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're in-house. They're a broker of sorts that offers lots of different programs and can fit you with the best one. Uh, But the conventional one is not necessarily or not backed by the government.
0: See, and, and there are all kinds of conventional programs, and different lenders will have different kinds of conventional programs. There are, um, There's another type of loan that technically, I don't know if it's actually a conventional right, a jumbo loan, which is really a, a conventional loan that's gotten above a certain price point. This is going to get a little bit confusing, because now we're going to talk about government backing again. Uh, but but ultimately uh, a lender um ABC bank who's got a loan program that's their loan program they loan you money they can have that that mortgage can be secured by two organizations Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac those are the government essentially secures those loans for them GSEs so uh, once they get over a certain amount and it varies based on what area of the country you're in, I think it might vary by zip code
2: even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they usually um, put
1: that out by county and zip code. It's
0: county and zip. Uh, that, uh, and I think those numbers in Kansas City now are – are they over – s-
1: I thought it was six, over uh, 600,000. Yeah, over 600,000 now. But uh, I thought it got changed or I heard something about a 400 – like 60 or something thousand but i'm i always thought it was around 600 well
0: i know a few years ago it was 400 but the market has has grown it and has they grown. but they republish every year yes, uh, new do. numbers so if you're looking for a loan of that size then you'll end up getting something called a jumbo loan so it's secured a little bit differently
2: and there is still arms, adjustable rate mortgages out there. Um, typically, those are used in the investment type of situations more than not now. You could do a potential arm, like a five-in-one arm, if you knew you were going to get transferred in a couple years to try and save some money there. But be careful with those arms. a uh, Those are what I tend to think may have gotten people in trouble in the first place in the mortgage crisis of 2008 is because they did not anticipate their rate changing the way it is. They did not read the fine print. And so you got to be careful with those arms. Just go into it eyes wide open.
0: So we're we're wrapping up our our first episode from Start to Keys. And I know we've been talking a lot about finances. But I think if you are looking at a home, you've been thinking a lot about finances. Hopefully there's been some information in here that's helped you sort of like uh, get your thoughts organized. Maybe you realized, hey, I do need to put this down on paper because I might be able to afford the payment, but um, I forgot about, there's some utilities I have to pay for. I'm going to have to take care of my own lawn. Uh, So so hopefully there's some things here that have guided you. I I do want to leave all of our listeners with one very important thought, which is even with these expenses on home ownership, there is without a doubt, uh, hands down, home ownership is the best way to build long-term wealth. We've talked a lot recently about uh, on our podcast about various things in financing because of the mortgage rates and the way the the uh, market has shifted. And we so we've been breaking down a lot of numbers. Traditionally, homes gain value three to five percent annually. And and, and there's no reason to believe that that won't continue at that rate, even as the market tends to slow right now coming out of this crazy period that we've been in. And so over a period of time, that house is going to appreciate most likely. I'm not an expert. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not an economist. I, but a soothsayer. I'm not any of those things. Right? But,
2: but guess what? You are going to put it into the bank of J homeowner. So when you pay your mortgage payment, you are putting equity down against a home, which Tends to build up equity, right? So five years from the date that you purchased the home, you've made your house payment for five years, you've put it into your equity bank there. Yeah. And so that money, when you sell your home, will be money that you actually have okay. in hand. Even and that is home, how yeah. you how you strategize this for even, a part of it.
0: I even if say. your home doesn't gain any value, you've you, paid yourself. You've paid yourself as opposed to somebody you're renting from. So absolutely. So all right, well, that's it. That's our first episode from start to keys. Uh, tune in next time, episode two, where we're going to be talking about the importance of getting pre-qualified. We're going to talk about some of the steps you should be taking to find your dream home. And then we'll get maybe a little bit into how you're going to make that offer once you found the dream home. So maybe a little more exciting, right? The nuts and bolts of the money here in episode one. But in episode two, we'll start talking about how to find that dream home. That's it. Until next time been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbyjen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.